It's good to be with you this morning. Thankful for this opportunity we've had. Um, I understand this is normally a class period, so you all know me well enough. If you haven't figured out by now that I'm just going to keep talking, then you haven't been paying attention. But if you've got a comment, you want to jump in with something, just jump in. When we're not in high school anymore, you don't need to raise your hand. Or just, just jump in, it'll be fine. Interrupt me, I, I'm, it's not, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Some people say I don't have any, but that's not that's not exactly right. I want to spend some time talking this morning about the work of the church and our our collective mission. Um, and in this in this first period, I want to think about edification. But I, I think um, that we we needed to define some terms we just think about the work of the church you know we've we've probably all heard the definition of the church as the called out and uh, I think sometimes that's a a little bit overdone it it indicates an assembly and the context determines the nature of the assembly it it could be an angry mob as it is in Acts chapter 19 and verse 32 the word uh, ecclesia or church is used there to talk about the the riot that happened in Ephesus. Uh, but the important thing is that the word church is a collective noun, like flock or herd or gaggle, and it indicates a group of people. And so we're, when we talk about the work of the church, we're talking about the work that we do collectively, together, uh, as, as defined by God. And again, work has some unfortunate uh, connotations as well uh, and so I just I would revisit the idea here on the front of this that the work that God has given us to do collectively is a gift and a privilege not a not a an onerous burden and so with that in mind uh, let's let's dive in and I want to start uh, here with Jesus the The church is described in Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23 as the body of Christ. Paul says he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so the church, the people, are the body of Christ. They are the the organic hands, feet, legs of of Christ. And so a natural question might be to ask, what what work did Jesus do? And there are a couple of descriptions that I think are helpful in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 4 and Verse 23, it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And then if you go over to Matthew 9.35, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, you might have noticed those two things sounded quite a bit alike. And those are summary statements 
of the work that Jesus was doing. Now, think about that for a minute. There is correspondence between what Jesus is doing and what the body of Christ is doing today. Jesus taught the multitudes. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. From that time, he's proclaiming the gospel of, of the kingdom. And so he was out proclaiming the kingdom of God to everybody who listened, which is roughly equivalent to evangelism. He also spent time, we, we read in Matthew 16, verse 20, that from, again, you have another from that time statement in Matthew 16, 20, where he begins to, to tell his disciples that he's, he is going to the cross and begins to talk to them about that and so he's trying to prepare them he's trying to get them ready uh, and that's what we read in these uh, two uh, two uh, passages that he was he also spent time teaching his own who they needed to be what they needed to be doing again roughly equivalent to edification and then he's going around and he's he's helping people and so he's acting in a benevolent way and those things obviously they are they are specified and refined more fully than that as we get into the New Testament and we look at what the church did and what, what the apostles said about that. But what we need to understand is the work that the church has been called to do is the very thing Jesus did when he was here. We are carrying on his work collectively as well as individually. And I, I think it's important to understand that. Because what I have seen over and over and over again is that churches get distracted with some other mission. They, they start trying to, I don't know, save the whales or whatever. Whatever, whatever thing they go chasing after. And you know, Jesus came into the world and he could have done anything, but what he did was what was most important. What he did was what was most important eternally. And so we are, when we follow the teaching of the New Testament with regard to the work of the church, we are following collectively in the steps of Jesus. We are doing what he did because it is the most important work that could possibly be done. And we need to we need to appreciate that fact. And the effect of that is when we do that work, we collectively become like Christ. We we start when we do the work that he did, we become like him, and the effect of that is that the Lord's name is glorified in consequence. And so with that's this part of this lesson is going to kind of overarch the, the the whole the whole thing. And so let's look at the church's role in edification uh, again in Ephesians chapter four, in verses eleven through thirteen. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service 
to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so it is the responsibility of evangelists and pastor teachers to equip saints for the work of service. Well, what's the purpose of that work or that service? The purpose is to build up the body of Christ. And so evangelists, the evangelist's job in, in, with regard to the church is to equip other saints to build up the body. Now, of course, he has a role in building up the body as well, but he's not, he's not solely responsible for that. He's responsible for equipping other people to build up the body. So I mentioned Gary Sandusky. Gary did something for years and years and years at Madison. He never talked about it at Madison. He didn't want them knowing about it. But every year, he would pick somebody in the congregation, and they became his, his project. And he would spend time with them. He would study with them. He would take them to studies. He would take them when he was visiting people. And he'd, he'd just take them along as much time as they could afford. He would take them along and let them see what he did. And then he'd kind of shove them out of the nest. And the next year, he'd pick somebody else. Well, he did that for 40-plus years in my and when he, when he finally got sick toward the end and he couldn't do the study of prison anymore and he couldn't do the radio program anymore and he couldn't do all the things that he'd been doing around town, one of the, one of the guys, a couple of guys said, well, we'll take the, we'll take the prison work. Another fellow there said, well, I'll take care of the radio program. And the reason that happened and the reason there was no, there was no interruption in the work that he'd been doing is he had been equipping saints all the way along the way to make sure that when he wasn't around anymore and that's going to be true of all of us unless the Lord comes first there's going to be a time when we're not around anymore somebody's going to pick up and keep doing the work and he equipped saints for the work of service and they got about the business of doing what they needed to do and when he when he was not able to preach as much People stepped up, and, and they, they took care of Bible classes, and they took care of encouraging other Christians, and, and the work went on. And so, churches need to be equipping saints for the work of service. And, and notice, notice what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. We, hadn't, we didn't look at this earlier in this series. He says, as a result... We're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so, who's responsible for the growth of the body? That, that's a really 
important question. Who's responsible for the growth of the body? Well, it looks to me like every joint in the body is responsible for the growth of the body. Every, every member is responsible. It, it happens as a result of the working of each individual part. Or, or we might say it's the responsibility of each individual in the church to make sure the body is growing. Have you ever heard somebody say they, they may come uh, to a service and they say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. And, and I have heard that on occasion. And sometimes reflecting on the sermon, I think, well, I, I can kind of understand that. But the, the problem with that statement is not that somebody's come and heard a not-so-great sermon. That, that's going to happen sometimes. The problem with that statement is we're not here to get something out of it. We're here to put something into it. According to this text, as far as I can see, the, the growth of the body is the responsibility of every single individual. And you think about that a minute. You know, we, we think about our, our relationship with one another. And somebody starts going off the rails. What are we going to do? And somebody might say, well, what they do is not my fault. And I, I go back to that fellow's statement we talked about earlier. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Because they are your brother, they are your sister, and they're your responsibility. And it's absolutely your responsibility to go to them and try and get turned back in the right direction, help them become conformed to the image of Christ. That is your Responsibility. It's not somebody else's responsibility. That is your responsibility. You are part of an organism that that stands or falls together. And we we understand that in our body. A very small part of your body can suffer an injury, and it affects everything. Years ago, I was out in the garage late one night, and I I had a uh, I had put. Uh, a new exhaust on an old motorcycle I was riding. It had knockout baffles in it. And every once in a while I'd knock the baffles out and I'd run over the pipes on it. And uh, it sounded like the baddest lawnmower on the planet. But I, I was, I had a, I had a ball peen hammer with a steel handle on it. I was beating that and I, I rammed, it's actually this hand that there's still, there's still carbon under, under the skin there. I ran my hand down, and the the end of that muffler went right through my fingernail and up, up underneath the fingernail. And I, you know, that's a that's a small thing. I tell you what, that got that got the attention of every fiber of my being for a while. I was I was grabbing my hand and trying to ease the pain and jumping around and squalling and everything else because of what one little thing that happened to one little part of the body. That's the way God intended that to work. For an injury to cause pain and get everybody's attention. And can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't feel the pain? 
and you didn't know about the injury. And you just went on, and the body just became injured over and over and over again with no reaction from any other part of the body. The, the sad thing is we don't have to imagine what that's like because that happens in churches all the time. So we, we have got to look out for one another and understand that we're in this together and we're responsible for making sure that we all get where we're going to the very best of our and I, I understand you can't make somebody else do it that's at the end of the day that's their responsibility but we can do what we can do and we have the responsibility that that is and so edification happens when those who teach make it their effort to equip every Christian to help every other Christian and we gotta we gotta keep that out in front of us that's that's how we get elders, that's how we get deacons, that's how churches equip saints to preach. Whether they do it all the time, part of the time, or however that works. And so Paul says, and I, I wanna I wanna think about spend a little bit of time thinking about this as well. He says let all things be done for edification. In 1 Corinthians 14, 12, he says, since also, So also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And in, in 14, 26, he says, What is the outcome then when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And of course, you know the point he makes there. It doesn't do any good to speak in tongues. It doesn't help anybody if nobody understands what in the world you're saying. And so, make sure that everything you do in the assembly is done for edification. And I, I think, as we think about the pattern that we have set forth for our worship, we need to make sure that not only we're doing the right thing at the right time in the right way, but that we've got the goal in mind. And so I want to I want to look at the very aspects various aspects of our worship uh, here quickly and 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 think about this. Uh, are there any comments or questions? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, can I can I defer that until we get to evangelism? Yeah. Uh, and so. Uh, I, I think I think we'll get some specific direction in that regard from the New Testament. So I want, if I can, I'll hold off on that. Any anything else? Okay. So obvious, I, I think fairly obviously, preaching is uh, preaching is for edification. And we remember when we talk about edification, we're talking about building someone up. Someone growing up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And in Colossians 1.28, Paul says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And so, Paul's goal when he taught Christians was to make them complete in Christ. 
And I think we need to go into every issue, every teaching opportunity, saying, how do I help this person become more like Christ? That, that's my goal. How do I help them become, have more the character of Christ, more the purpose of Christ, do things more according to the will of Christ? How do I, how do I realize that purpose? And so preaching, I, I think that probably goes without saying, is singing for edification? Well, yes. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so when, when we are singing together, we're teaching and admonishing one another. And one of the things, you know, the songs have been, by the way, the songs have been fantastic this weekend. I really really appreciate the songs that we've sung together and, uh, and, the, and the great and, and weighty sentiments that are expressed, the call and the commitment uh, implicit in those songs. But I've seen situations where churches kind of get in a pattern where it seems like the songs are being chosen for the, the musicality of it. And I don't, you know, we don't use instruments in music, but we can get sucked into singing songs for the wrong reason. And we, we really need to be purposeful about, is this song going to effectively teach and admonish my brothers and sisters to be more faithful to the Lord? Is this going to cause them to see God with greater clarity? Is this, is this song true? Is it biblical? And is it, is it going to effectively teach us? No brother up in Indiana, and he 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 says, "I'm just so tired of these 7-Eleven songs." I don't know if you all know what 7-Eleven songs are, but they're you know songs with seven words repeated eleven times, and there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of substance there. And I'll admit a certain personal bias toward older hymns, but I feel like a lot of those older hymns were written by people who were students of the Bible first and musicians second. So I I would and again I'm I'm betraying a, a personal bias there, but we do need to make sure song leaders need to make sure that the songs that are sung are going to build up, going to teach, going to admonish, going to correct, going to biblically praise God for who he really is. And so I, I think those things are fairly out. What about praying? Is, is praying for edification? Well, that's an interesting question. Because we're praying, we're speaking to God. But I want to notice what Paul prayed for when he prayed. In Ephesians 1, 15 through 17, he says, For this reason... I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in your prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so Paul was praying that they would know God more completely. In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ 
having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul wants them to grow up spiritually. In Colossians 1, 9, and 10, For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul was constantly, constantly praying that the church would grow up into Christ. That was the, that was the focal point of his prayer. And sometimes, not everywhere, not all the time, but sometimes it seems like the focus of our prayers revolves around the physical. We pray about people's health, well-being, safe travels. Can we pray about those things? Absolutely. I'm not saying don't pray about that. That's not my point. Don't don't go away. Brother Latham doesn't think we ought to pray for sick people. Well, no, I do. But I think we need to align our priorities with Scripture, too. And I, it, it's not... These are three examples of what Paul does in every letter we have from Paul with the exception of Galatians. He prays for the saints. He records, or at least tells them what he's praying for. Every single time. In Galatians, he's, he's fighting fire and he, he gets straight to it. They're about to leave the Lord. But in every case, he tells them he's praying for them and it is always spiritual. And I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we've got the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We need to, we need to be focusing on, on growth. Is communion for edification? Well, yes. First Corinthians 11. 23 through 26, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remembering Jesus is aspirational. Because remember in Romans 8, 29, we said, what does God want for us? He wants us to be conformed to the image of his Son. And so as we remember Jesus, as we think about who Jesus is, we're remembering who we are to become. We're remembering the goal. We're remembering the purpose. We're remembering that we need to take up a cross. We need to sacrifice ourselves. We need to die to self. And that we will be raised up in the last day. And so yes, absolutely. It's, it's, for, it's for edification. Now, somebody says, well, well get, giving. Giving's not for edification. That, that, that's, that's another thing. Well, Maybe. But let, let's look. And something interesting happens here in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul, Paul does something that's fascinating to me. I, I understand that 
the, the purpose of the contribution, we'll talk about that more when we talk about benevolence. Uh, but I, I want to notice what Paul does in 2 Corinthians 8 as he's writing to the Corinthians about their contribution to the needy saints in Jerusalem. And, and the first thing he says is, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which was given to the churches in Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of the participation in the support of the saints. And why does Paul tell the Corinthians about what the Macedonians have done? To encourage them. To build them up. To show them what true liberality, what true graciousness looks like. And I, I think about this uh, I think about this picture. Uh, he says, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And they did that in a great ordeal of affliction and deep poverty. And so I'll, I want you to, if you go to, uh, if you go to downtown Louisville in the evening, somebody's going to come up to you with a cup in their hand, and they're going to, they're going to ask you for something. I want you to picture a senior walking down the city street there, and pick whatever city you want to, and some guy in, in filthy, dirty clothes with a cup in his hand walks up to you and, and, and pulls a couple of bucks out of that cup and says, could I please give this to you? And you probably think, well, that's not going to happen. That's exactly what happened. They begged to be gracious. That's a beautiful picture. But now, let's drop down just a few verses to verse 9 and look at what Paul ties that to in, in 2 Corinthians 8. He, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And so what he says is, what the Macedonians did is just like what Jesus did, and you'll be just like Jesus too if you do what they did. And so what is he what is he doing as he as he prepares this these churches to help the needy saints in Jerusalem? What he's doing is he's helping them become like Christ. And maybe, and I you know I understand that. The contribution, the giving in the New Testament was need-based, and the need is specified, and a lot of times when we do that, we talk about what the need is and how much money is needed and all that sort of thing. And I'm not suggesting any of that's wrong, but maybe what we need to do is we need to point out that we need to give because we need to become like Jesus. Because that's what he did. And he gave, he gave up a lot to fill our need.
He gave up. He became poor so that we could become rich. And that, that's the Christ-like thing to do. And so I would say everything we do in worship needs to be done for edification. I think that's what all things means. When Paul says, let all things be done for edification, I think all things means all things. And maybe that's a simplistic approach to it. I believe that's right. And so we I, I, I think that we will preach better, we will teach better, we will sing better, we will pray better, we will remember Jesus better, we will give better if we've always got the goal of becoming more like Christ and helping others become more like Christ in front of it. It'll take those things, and, you know, we've, we've said for a long time, these are the things we're supposed to do. I would add, I would add to the five, reading scripture. Paul says to Timothy, give attention to public reading scripture. I think we'll do that better. If, if, as we're selecting text to read and as we are reading, we're thinking about helping people become more like Christ. I think it'll transform everything we do if we keep the goal in mind and not just say, yes, we prayed, yes, we preached, yes, we sang, yes, we remember Jesus, yes, we observed the Lord's Supper, yes, we read the Scriptures, we, we did all the things that, that God has told us to do. We're good. That's good. But in doing those things, are you helping people become more like Jesus or not? Because that's the goal. That's the purpose. That's the intent. And at least in my experience, that has not always been at the forefront. I feel like sometimes we've kind of had a, well, we did the right things. Okay, good. But Scripture is more purposeful than that. And, and if scripture is more purposeful than that, we need to be more purposeful. Yes, those are the things we ought to be doing. But why? To what end? Well, scripture tells us. And we, because scripture tells us, we need to know. I hear people say all the time, well, God tells us to do, we don't need to know why. That's true unless God has told us why. And then we do need to know why. But, I mean, I absolutely agree with the sentiment. We, if God tells us to do something, we just need to do it. But if God tells us why to do it, we need to know why to do it. Because it's going to transform how we do it. The purpose, the intent is critical. Thoughts, comments, questions, angry rebuttals, anything? I understand that what you're saying is understanding the condition. Absolutely. It is um, critical. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's kind of that whole process of... Uh, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, you know, understanding the mission, that's, you know, that's usually the boss or the mature man or the, you know, so who understands is the one who's gotten to that more complete or more more mature, and that's, and that's but that's across, that's everything, right, that's everything you do, right, it's every, you know, you know, who's the coach? Well, the coach is the guy who, who understands the mission, right? most full. Right. right. 
and you know that that's going to be uh, a whole. I mean, that's the whole part of this maturing process is to get to that spot where you do uh, have a more full comprehension of the mission. Uh, but it, it does start like um, you know, here, and I was on that this morning. You know, that there's this whole process where you, you know, you you bring your notions and your baggage or whatever, then you gain a certain amount of knowledge. Then when you get to a little bit of understanding, then you make some decisions or whatever. You know, but but it's just like. Uh, you know, I was telling her this morning, I've, I've been really impressed with myself and how slow I've been picking up, like, so many different things. Like, it's just this super long, I mean, you know, you really have to be, and you have to think towards that. Like, uh, you know, you got to reflect and say, my understanding of, of the mission and what can I do to understand the mission better? You know, uh, it doesn't just um, it doesn't happen without you having that purpose. Like, right. you, you're not going to get to the place of understanding the purpose and mission unless your purpose is to understand the purpose and mission. You know, it's just not going to slap you down and take you over. Right. It's a, it's work. Right. And so, when you think about realizing the mission, there are a couple of ways, I think, to do that. One is, you can say, okay, here's the plan. This is what, I am telling you what to do to get from here to here. And you need to do it. And... I think people can learn under that kind of system, but it, it, it's not easy. Another way to do that is, is to teach people to respect Scripture and say, here's the mission. How would you get there? And then you have a conversation. But you have to open yourself up to people sometimes giving the wrong answer and sometimes maybe taking a route there that is not fully biblical and then you're going to say well okay now this part of it really good but there's some concerns here because of what scripture says and so we're going to have to we're going to have to tweak some things to align with what God says and so what I would suggest is take that plan and go back and tweak it according to what scripture says and, and then then come back and and that I said well you never get anything done that way well, it may take longer on the front end, but what happens is people learn how to serve God. And when they execute God's will, it will be the plan that they've seen in God's Word. They won't be doing it because somebody else told them to. They'll have ownership of it. And that's, that's critical that we equip one another to realize God's will and God's purpose and people, older people, wiser people, people in positions of leadership and influence have to bring other folks along in all of this or else, you know, a leader leaves, a leader dies, 
a leader goes off the rails, two of those things are inevitable in one sense or another, and one of them is painfully frequent. What's going to happen then? My, my father-in-law said a long time ago, he said, you know, if, if you go and work with a group of people, and as soon as you leave, the whole thing blows up. You maybe need to think about the work you did. And I'm still trying to figure out how to live up to that ideal myself. I'm with you, Mark. I'm I'm on the slow train. Yes. Give them a little rope in a sense and, and to see which way they go and if you see it's not going to work it all to do, you try to bring it back you know, to the right way. Right. Yeah. And and as people are learning, mistakes will be made. And I and do not mean by that allow somebody to do something wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But I think if you see somebody doing something wrong, you need to say something. You're about to do something wrong, don't do that. But all kinds of challenges and difficulties came up in the early church, and they people who are pursuing God and pursuing God's way are going to have to adjust and correct as they as they carry out God's will. That's going to be. Good. So we've got to we've got to be okay with that. Implementation is going to be messy. It always. Always. Thoughts, comments, questions, anything else? We're probably out of time on Everything in life is the same way. It is. Amen. Thank you all so much.